You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Joda the Unifier brings five-color nonsense to a whole new level, with Cascade for Legends and a massive Anthem effect. Then on the flashback, testing results with Soul of Windgrace, the newest staple in Modern and Pioneer. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Schriever, also known as Cave Dan Online. Joined today by my guy in Buenos Aires. You know him as Moored to Light. It's Emmy Sagasti. Emmy, welcome. Hey, yo. Thanks, Dan. How is it going? How is the new life now that the sun is rising there while it's 3 a.m. here? Yeah, everything's topsy turvy. I mean, this is wild. I'm like six hours ahead of you now. But, you know, it's good. Start the morning off right. I decided to take a break from getting my face pushed in with Bard class decks to record a podcast with y'all. Of course. Sadly, the Stereo Vision Kang is a bit too busy to join us today, but that doesn't mean they're not going to get their influx of ideas during the next few days. Also, you said topsy-turvy, and my brain immediately realized that's the first time I have ever heard that phrase, outside being a combo card in Hearthstone. So it's the topsy-turvy, my brain goes to that card, and then we're like, is that a normal expression? It should be. It, it likely is. <laughs> it is, it is, but you don't hear it too often. Okay, okay. It's kind of like old-fashioned. Because my brain went to that the Hearthstone card, and I was like, no, no, that's not where it comes from. It has to be an expression. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we have some beautiful brewing for you guys today. Finally, we have the monthly project winner by... Barely, barely any margins. The closest it has ever been between two cards and the huge advantage they took over the rest. Yeah, you're getting a lot of brew sessions in a row. I mean, we just talked about Mario on Friday, but we are kicking off another month of our joint project with Serum Visions. And like Mord said, it's just the two of us today. But as we keep working on the winning card, uh, we'll check in week to week, see what we've learned, try out a deck or two, and then... We'll have the Seer Visions gang come join us at the end to recap what we learned. So, Mord, how did it go? What happened? What are our results? So, luckily, I'm going to start saying the good part. March of Portioning Life didn't win. It did get more votes than it should have because it got more than one vote. The only person, the only person <laughs> that could actually vote for it was the one that nominated every single other person is heresy. Well, actually, Kilgore Trout vowed to not vote for it. He, After hearing <laughs> your see? evisceration of the card, he said he, he wanted to see if it could get zero votes. But it, it did not. It got uh, quite a lot of support, actually. It got more votes than three beautiful cards. Cavalry's Rudic Bow, which I didn't have many hope for. But Aggressive Mining and Lowless Troll are cards that I at least hoped had a fighting chance and not get crushed by even March of Portioning Life. But those are all great cards. That's the problem, they're too good. That's true. Yeah. People love to see us suffer a tiny... It's either Curry is extremely fun or we suffer. That's why March of Furniture in Life got 10 votes. 
Yeah, you can't have your car be too good. Exactly. Fifth, we got Erayo, which was a fan favorite of a lot. I actually thought I would see it a bit higher for this Danitha, which is the hammer equipper. But 5 out of 4 4 gets you stuff. Third was a card that keeps getting top 3, but keeps losing in the finals, which is Necronicus, with 19 votes. No. Oh, Oos, <laughs> you're so close. Oos keeps losing the race by a tiny mile. At this rhythm, we're gonna have to give it its own month just as, as a pity vote, right? Just because he deserves it. Well, if it was the summertime, it definitely would. There's not as much going on in the summer, but I mean, we'll see. We'll see if we can fit it in. There's a lot happening with Dominaria and Brothers War coming out. So <laughs> you gotta keep voting for it. You're gonna stay in your pit for a while. And with a 12-point difference from 19 to 31, we have the second place Mechanized Production. Which was a fun favorite, clearly. The idea of going off with Bloods or Clues made people super excited. Yeah, a card that I didn't have too much hopes for, but I think, you know, you guys made some great points about it. It's cheaper than Battle of Wits. It's much easier to enable and actually does something on its own, right? It generates copies. And it has that beautiful text of you win the game. Ah, you win the game. Mechanized Production had a big lead at first, and I thought, you know, this car was going to run away with it. But as the, as the week of voting progressed, it turns out that Jota the Unifier also had amazing support. I mean, these two cards just way ahead of everything else. Way ahead. I've yeah. never seen such a big difference. So we have Yoda the Unifier as the unifier of all your boats. Winner by one vote, <laughs> 32 to 31. And it seems people just love five color legendaries. I mean, I guess, like, when I first saw this card, I thought, well, it's like Niv at home, but we have, well, you know, we're not going to play a second rate Niv. You know? <laughs> like, or will this we? Is, this is not Niv. Like, yeah, it turns out we will because. <laughs> so this is an open question for me. Like, obviously, we're going to do our best. We're going to think through the pieces of the card. What are the synergies? how to maximize those, how to even get Jota in play, and what is Jota doing that Niv can't do? And this turns out that the answers to those are all pretty interesting. But yeah, Jota the Unifier is our winning card. And we're going to have to go deep into it. We have a lot of ideas ranging from fire humans to agro humans to why not just Valky? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe this will be Niv Mizzet... 3.0. I'm not sure what Niv Mizzet 2.0 was. Was that just Omnath or was it <laughs> something else? I think Omnath is Niv Mizzet 5.0. Like it's a straight up huge upgrade and then we have this as Niv Mizzet 0.5. Oh, Omnath is like when the Terminator 2000 comes back in time to like fight the original Terminator. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger has to now defend against a more advanced Terminator. That was Niv versus Omnath. Hmm. Well, we still like Arnold. Oh, good old Arnold. You are so close. <laughs> All right, Moore, tell us about Jota the Unifier. It's got a lot of text on it. We better remind ourselves what it does. So, 5 mana 5-5 five, five legendary creature, one of every color, so Buburg, Buburg, human wizard. Legendary creatures you control get plus X plus X, where X is the number of legendary creatures you control. So immediately, this is a plus one, plus one on its own. So even on its own, it's a six mana, it's a five mana, six, six. That's the base round. However, the most intriguing part is the next one. Besides being a huge anthem, if you have a few legendaries playing around, 
Whenever you cast a legendary spell from your hand, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a legendary non-land with lesser mana value. You may cast that card without paying its mana value, its mana cost, put the rest on the bottom in a random order. So we have legendary cascade. Whenever you cast a legendary spell from your hand, you cascade into another legendary spell. That's very interesting, right? I mean, cascade by itself is a fascinating mechanic, or at least it, it used to be until they <laughs> made it very simple with all the free spells. <laughs> so there's a question of like, okay, how do you build a cascade deck? Or Cascade Chain, I should say. But then because Joda only sees legendaries, you know, you can skip the cards you don't want to see, right? So if you want to make sure that all of your legendaries are concentrated at certain spots on the curve, you can do that. Or if you just want a complete, you know, everything in my deck is a legend, then you could just get total chaos every time you trigger Joda. I'm just sad they went the coward way and said whenever you cast from your hand and didn't allow this beautiful card to actually cascade multiple times, right? What, so it just keeps cascading a 5 into a 4 into a 3 into a 2? No, no, maybe just go 5 into 2, but yeah. I mean, that, that would be... Alright. <laughs> then we would actually have something, but that's... The, the first lever does that. It does? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Slivers all get cascaded. Sliver spells, you have a cascade. Okay, yeah. All right. Well, maybe we can put Joda into a first sliver deck since oh, yes. that's a legendary. And then we can... And then we triple cascade. Like, if this was whenever you cast a legendary spell, exile card, and then remove from your hand, and this was able to cascade into more cascades, I would love this card. I would play this immediately. Play this, and then immediately play a four drop, hope to hit a two drop or three drop into a one drop into a mox amber immediately, because you guarantee a mox amber after that. <laughs> So I think it actually doesn't make that big of a difference. I think that the existing ability is good enough. But that's all pie-in-the-sky stuff. Let's, let's get down to the details. <laughs> so first, before we proceed, just to recap some of the rules interactions we're just talking about. All right, it's a legend, a human wizard. A uh, human, yeah, that matters. Wizard, I'm not sure about that. But yeah, we can put this in the top end of a human's deck, for example. That first clause means that Joda is minimum 6-6, six, six, right? But that, again, only counts creatures. So if you're playing Joda in, like, I don't know, Karth Super Friends or something, uh, he's not going to be counting Planeswalkers and Othonisses and stuff for that Anthem effect. Only the creatures count towards the plus X plus X. Yes. The Cascade for Legends, uh, I think Mord explained it very nicely, right? It's buy one, get one for Legends. But it has a very interesting clause, right? So it works almost exactly like Cascade, except that they did not give it the Tybalt nerf. Exactly. If you recall, originally Cascade didn't specify anything about playing the front or back of the card. So you could play your Bloodbraid Elf, hit a Velky, and just decide to cast the Tybalt side. They eroded that after about two weeks of chaos in Modern. So that now you have to like check and make sure that the card you're actually putting onto the stack has the appropriate mana cost, etc., etc. So we, we don't see that anymore. But Joda actually makes it possible once again. Joda does not have that uh, MDFC nerf, if I can call it that. Um, I think this card was designed before that, Errata. Hmm. It's pretty likely it was taking into account the two year before said release. And the rat, I think, was during 2021, so it would make perfect sense that it just hadn't happened and they just decided it was fine to push this regardless. 
I mean, I'm intrigued. Like, I know it's kind of a silly corner case thing, but <laughs> it's just so sweet to get table. I, I think I'm going to have to try it. So just to, to remind us, the best one by far is Velky, which, you know, you could set up your deck so that, you know, you, you always cascade into Velky when you have Jota in play. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other MDFCs that might be relevant. So, for example, there's a one-drop legend, Valentine Dean of the Vein, right? It's kind of a crappy Kalidus Jr. 1-1 vampire, but its backside is actually a pretty decent 4-4 for 4, Lizette, Dean of the Root. I'm worried that you wrote you're like Joe Valentin and Castelli said side, assuming anybody, anywhere, anytime in their life knows what Lisette does. Oh, Lisette doesn't do anything. Just a 4-4 for 4. <laughs> but that's bigger than Valentin is the important part. And, you know, I, I usually ignore Valentin, but like people like Jiggy Wiggy keep putting it into decks. David always puts it into decks. He thinks it's like a pretty decent Kalidus effect. And Jiggy thinks it's a black Mox Amber enabler. <laughs> so, like, it's not out of the question that you can actually use Valentin. And in this case, you know, if I had a deck that, you know, I wanted to, if I draw a Valky naturally, I want to like cascade into something useful. I can now cascade with Jota and get an extra 4-4 out of the deal. Essika is a nice ramp card that if you cascade into it, you can play the Prismatic Bridge. I think those are the main ones. There's also Bergy, which becomes the Horn of Bounty. Mila becomes Luka, and Raiden becomes that weird shield. <laughs> those are the good ones. <laughs> oh, you also get a Wrath effect if you need it, that I don't think you ever will. Well, that's not legendary, so that will not be part of Joda's chains. Oh, that's not legendary. Such. Such. That's just a that's just a regular MDFC. <laughs> you can find that anywhere. How is that not legendary? <laughs> Such. But yeah, I, I'm intrigued to see like what happens if I just put a bunch of legendary MDFCs into a deck with Jota. Because you know the fact that you can pick either side you want lets you cascade at whatever spot on the curve you want. So yeah, I mean that could be fun. But anyway, so that's basically how Dota works. Uh, next, we're going to get into some of the conceptual questions, some of the frameworks we should use to like decide what direction to explore. And I think we'll just like make that our goal for the day. We're not going to get too deep into, okay, we've got to test this deck first, this deck second, because we're going to spend a month on this. So we'll get into the key questions next. Uh, oh, and I should mention, we'll also talk about our solo wing race testing. I forgot yes. to say that at the top. Uh, so that is our plan of attack. Given that, more, what should we be thinking about now for how to actually brew with Jota? So, the key questions that I think we have to focus on is how do we make our fight drop that doesn't have an ETB not suck? Mm-hmm. And in what format should we do so? Or at least, once we decide a format, what do we have to focus on on each of them? So, I think the first random one, in most decks that you want to play this, you want to have a critical mass of legendary spells, so more than likely you're casting this the fair way to see in between quotes. Getting your land drops, get value, develop a few creatures on the way, and immediately top end with a Yoda. Well, yes, I think that's probably the, the safest way to do it, but wouldn't that mean that Yoda kind of sucks? Like, it doesn't have an ETB, right? So, like, if I'm I mean, just waiting to cast my game-ending 5-drop, and I'm just like, okay, 6-6, six, six, pass the turn. I think it depends mostly on what we got on the way there. Like, if we curve out with Red and C- with Ragavans into like something like Sword of Wind Race or the 3-drop, there's a lot of creatures, legendary on the 2-4 um, creature slot that actually tap for mana or allow you to get mana more easily. 
However, I think the best way could be as described with Eldritch Evolution or Neoform. Hmm, okay, so you're saying we have the fair options of either making mana perhaps assisted by the occasional ramp piece, or we start actually trying to like cheat it into play. Yes. Sadly, as it doesn't have any TV, it's not one of those cheating to play for a turn. Like, cheating to play with Corius Mansion, that's enough. You actually need to cheat and live in play. The benefit of cheating into play is that you would theoretically still have some mana available, so then you could immediately cast something else. Uh, I think Pyre of Heroes might be a nice option for this. Let's say I'm, I'm in a human's tribal deck, and at some point I have my Pyre in play, I've got you know, just a random four drop I don't need. I mean, this doesn't sound plausible, but let's just pretend that I have a random four drop I'm not using. I can Pyre that into Jota, still have, I don't know, three mana left over to cast another legend. I mean, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's tough to, like, imagine an explosive turn that involves putting Jota into play and doing a Cascade in the same turn. Yeah, exactly. Trying to transform that into a zero ETB. However, I mean, maybe the truth is that the Anthem is the better half. I could imagine cheating Jota into play, and then now my, my team has plus three, plus three, and I just win that turn. Yeah, plus three, plus three. It's a pretty good Anthem. It's actually a, th- a six-man enchantment. The price of giving all your creatures plus three, plus three is an unplayable three-mana Celestia enchantment from Sam Ravnica. Oh, six-mana enchantment. Yeah, collective blessing, I think. Something like that. No idea. I know the art because it was in my first deck I ever played. <laughs> but that's enough of its playability, right? Yeah. But it is six mana. I mean, like you said, that's, that's worth a lot. That's like three Force of Virtues stacked together. So that's like a six cards worth of value. <laughs> so. Besides that way of casting it, I think one of the most attractive ones, besides Neoform or Eldritch Evolution, is something like Winota. Because you're just a human. Oh... So what about a, hu- a full-on legendary Winota deck? And Winota hitting Yoda would be the equivalent of it giving everything double strike, or even more. That's the first thing we talked about that actually feels like it might be powerful, right? Because, let's face it, Neoform, Eldritch Evolution, and even Pyre of Heroes to an extent, these are not, like, A-tier cards. But Winota is an A-tier card, and he's abandoned Pioneer. In modern, we've seen that it can be good. We talked about that uh, Yogmoth Winota. What was it called? Yognota? Yognota? Yognota. Yognota. Yeah, the other was the name Sack trying to introduce and fail. That's right, yeah. Winogmoth's not going to happen, Zach. I'm sorry. <laughs> but Winjota. Winjota, maybe. Winyota. Winyota, uniter of forces. How about that? <laughs> I had someone come on stream today and talk to me and, and had a bit of pity on you because I, I, I was ranting about different concepts all of a sudden and they were like, poor Dan, that has to be what recording with more is like. Mm-hmm. Just because when I started rambling ideas and that has stopped me already twice from going on, on random runs this episode already. So maybe they're right. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you're a poor victim of circumstances. Finally, the other way that you're, you're suggesting is Gorius mentions, but I think that's just insanity. Probably. <laughs> it is probably insanity. I was picturing something like, okay, my thought process was, if I have 
Asmo in my deck, right? That's a zero mana legend. So that means that even Ragavan gives me a bonus 3-3. Three, three. And once I've got Asmo, I've probably got cookbooks. And once I've got cookbooks, I can just discard Joda the Unifier at some point. And then, well, I can't persist it back because that doesn't work with legends. But I can Goryeo's it back, <laughs> cast another Ragavan, get another Asmo, get another cookbook. No? <laughs> no. I was picturing something of like... Like, this this actually had some sense in my mind, you just made it worse. Like, my idea was, like, five mana, Goddess Vengeance, cast Rokirik, get Tibalt. I like that. I mean, why not? Yeah, that, that leaves you plenty of stuff. Being able to, on turn five, get a three-drop legendary plus a Tibalt. Like, if your deck only has legendaries on the three CMC slot... You even get the 4-4 four, four off Rokirik. No, you don't. Oh, no, you don't. Because you can't play yet. Such. Right. But maybe you had a Rokirik from the previous turn. Yeah, I mean, let's not overlook the synergy between Joda and Rokirik. Joda is a gold card. Joda <laughs> is a multicolor card. Yep. Also, Rokirik is freaking annoying to remove if you don't have Renan 6. That's true. So those are the main ways to like cheat Joda into play. Bring to Light is the card that you know, has the most pedigree. If we're thinking of, okay, Joda and Niv cost the same, so we can apply the same heuristics to them. That is true, but Bring to Light will probably tap you out. And I think, Mord, you explained it beautifully. Bring to Light is not very good right now, at least in modern. In Pioneer, it's yeah. still okay. Yeah, and if I'm Bring to Lighting for Yoda, 99% of the time, it's better to Bring to Light for straight up for Tibalt. That's true, yeah. Worth noting that the only deck that is 5-0 with Jota so far is a Pioneer Niv deck that just has a one Jota for fun. Yeah. But they did it twice. <laughs> okay. Also, Claudio won with Niv today, I think. Yeah, so it's like the mana base is good there. It's a four Leyline Binding deck, so you know it must be good. How can a four, how can a four Leyline Binding deck be bad? I'm just going to keep reminding people that we told them to buy Leyline Bindings so that they don't get too mad about us missing on Shieldred. <laughs> we didn't tell you to buy that. We didn't miss on Shieldred. We did tell you to buy Leyline Binding. We never said Shieldred was bad. I'm gonna fight this. We didn't say it was bad, but we ignored it for the most part. We just said it was not well designed for what it should be, a card named the Apocalypse. I definitely thought that as well about the design, although now having had it in play against me, the feelings that it elicits when it's staring across the battlefield at you are appropriate for Shieldred, it's like... I might be playing decks that are too interactive to say that. Like, whenever mm. I'm playing against Rakdos in Pioneer, which isn't much, because I'm not playing much Pioneer, but what do they do when they cast Shieldred? I'm like, phew, imagine if this had been a real threat. <laughs> well, you're playing the right decks then to beat up on Rakdos, but Rakdos keeps winning, so... Card is great. I'm going to stick to my guts and say I don't like how, how the design is for a card named the Apocalypse. But yeah, card is clearly good. And one of the most expensive nowadays. It's super expensive. And I still don't see why it's good. I mean, that's like a... I'll take that question to my grave. I, I feel like it shouldn't be that powerful. I love that it got... <laughs> it had two spots in the cyber of, of Doomsday today in the Legacy Showcase qualifier that was won by Doomsday. With, as we said, two children in the sideboard. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right, so where were we? We were talking about how to get Joda into play. I think we covered the best options. Yeah, so I think it's a mixture of trying to put it into play or trying to cheapestly put it into play via something like Eldritch Evolution or something like, as we said before, Winyarda. Yeah. Now, other questions to think about, I think each deck can answer these next questions differently. Big one is, like, what, what's the actual value of Joda? Is it the Anthem effect or is it the Cascade effect? And you could probably imagine decks built to maximize either one, like uh, a human's tribal deck, a legendary human's tribal, if we can call it that, probably is going to use the Anthem more than the Cascade, right? The turn you get Joda into play, and maybe your team has like plus four, plus four, or whatever, if we're dreaming big. There's a huge amount of great human legendaries, right? We have Dahlia, we have honorary human, pre-human Ragavan. Human in the making. Yeah, so I, I think if that were a modern deck, probably the Winota is the better route. If it's Pioneer, maybe you can just go ahead and play Five Color Legends and just hope for the best. Does Jota do anything better than Niv can do? I think I mentioned that at the top. I'm still not convinced that Jota does, but Niv does not have an Anthem. Niv has pretty strict requirements on building a gold deck where Jota does not. So I think the way to build it is in a way that the Anthem is great and the Cascade serves as a way to keep the gas flowing. So you have to use both parts of it for it to be good. Mm. So I'm looking at legendary humans. And we have actually some great ones. Judith. Um, also, it's great with a lot of... <laughs> sorry, what I was about to say and got stuck is you can play a lot of hate bears like Lavinia and such, and them getting huge with Yoda, it's actually great because you stole the game with the hate bears, Talia, three mana Talia, um, I, I always forget the name of them, Lavinia and such, and then you just win the game with the Anthem, right? Your two ones, two two transform into like five fives, and it's like a one turn clock. I love the optimism there. <laughs> I mean, I'm just imagining myself playing turn two Lavinia, turn three Judith, and I'm like, just wait for it. Once I get Jota in play, it's all over. No, I think it's more the aspect of turn two Talia, turn three, I don't know, something like Anafensa, and you're getting like five points of damage there. And next turn, you either keep developing legendary creatures, or if you have like a mana dork, play a Judith, getting for literally 11. Yeah. Lavinia is good against Leyland Binding. I'll say that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of legendary creatures you can play on curve, like five color legendaries. Or like five color stacks. For most of the hitbears, or a lot of them nowadays are legendary creatures. So that's not even like something that you struggle with. But that seems interesting. Also, Ederbial is a sketchy way to sneak in a Yoda. Oh. Okay, so what if we're playing like uh, an Ethervile Wizards deck and we have the wizard cycling card so that when we want Joda, we can just wizard cycle for it and then Violet in on five and then Violet and Yorian on five to trigger the Cascade the next turn. Wow! We're going deep! <laughs> I think Bial is actually a good alternative. So if we're trying to build toward the Cascade part of Jota, there is some question of like what do we want our legend curve to look like? How many legends do we want to play? I mean, you want to have enough legends in the deck to actually trigger it. 
reliably. And remember, for the Cascade, it doesn't have to be creatures, right? The, the Cascade half works with any legendary permanent, whether that's Planeswalkers, whether that's Oath of Nissa's, Mox Amber, Heart of Kirin, etc. It doesn't work with Mox Amber per se. Well, Mox Amber, you won't get anything off that. And actually, what was more likely to happen is you will cast, you will triumphantly cast some other legend and then excited hit to see Mox what Amber. you hit. You'll hit a Mox Amber. But that taps for all five colors with Jota, so it's not that bad. But it is a risk, right? If you start putting in Oath of Nissas and Mox Ambers into your deck, you're diluting the potential of your big Cascade hits. Maybe there's something. Maybe. I mean, it's weird. Like, I, lo I looked at a bunch of, like, user-submitted Jota decks, and they all had Oath of Nissa and Mox Amber. And I'm actually not sure if that's correct or not. It's weird. I don't think so. Like, I wouldn't run them if I could avoid it. Maybe Mox Amber, yes, because of how we can power up the deck a lot. Like, it increases the fail rate, but gives it much more explosive lines. But I don't think I would run Oath of Nissa. It's a terrible hit that isn't actually great for the deck. Something to think about. All right, before we talk about different actual decks, I'll just mention a few other micro-synergies, if we call it that. Oh, boy. He's, he's locked. <laughs> Micro-cats, micro-kittens, to tell me about the little synergies here. So, Kitty, want to tell me about the rule synergies? Tell me about Ragavan. Oh, do you like it? Emphasize. Oh, so no Ragavan, okay. Okay. What's your take? Thanks for the take, micro-kitty. Uh, so we talked about Mox Amber kind of having a sketchy interaction with the Cascade, tapping for any color, that's nice. We talked about General Ferris, triggering off Jota, that's also nice. Keep in mind, all companions are legendary, so... All of them have good upside. Yeah, if you're a smart magic player and you've put a companion into your deck, you, you can trigger Jota a bonus time, if it comes to that. You can trigger Reki History of Kamigawa twice, because it is casting two legends. There are a bunch of legendary creatures that bring a legendary friend. Um, <laughs> so if you want like a super anthem effect, you could use, I don't know, Kari Zev that brings along the original Ragavan, Minsk, <laughs> not the good Minsk, the bad Minsk. Not the, the legal Minsk. Correct. Brings a legendary hamster. There's Tolsamir. There's Driz Durden. And there's Tatsunari Toad Rider, who I kind of forgot about Tatsunari, but, you know, maybe we were supposed to be playing... Leyline Bindings and Fable of the Mirror Breakers in our Tatsunari decks. <laughs> Tatsunari was... Whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you get a frog, right? You get a legendary frog. Yeah, legendary yeah. frog. Kami, how can you just... How can you forget Kami? How can I forget about Kami? <laughs> whose name is strangely similar to Kermit. <laughs> how could I forget about it? It's so close. <laughs> and the last legend that stood out to me is Arnie Brokenbrow. He's got the boost ability to reset his power to be like higher than the base power of your next biggest creature. And it turns out that if you have an Arnie and a Jota, that's two legends, so the double anthem is in the play. So you have a 7-7 seven, seven Jota and a 5-5 five, five Arnie. But if you then use Arnie's boost ability, Arnie checks what's the next biggest creature, which is a 7-7, seven, seven, and says, all right, I'm going to go up to 8 power. So he's going to be 8 power, and then he also gets Jota's anthem on top of that, so he becomes 10 power. Is that how it works? It is. That sounds like layers. No, it works. It really works. 
I played a lot more Arnie Broken Brow than I should have because I keep trying to make Bard class happen in Pioneer. But that's one of the cool things that he can do. He does it with a Hero's Blade as well. Okay. Um, he works really nicely with Anthem Effects because he specifies base power. Okay, right. Oh, it specifies. Okay. It's, it's correctly made so we don't have to worry about layers. Yeah. So Arnie gets huge with Jota. You put an Embercleave on him. Embercleave, Great Henge. These trigger Jota for like big cascades. So hmm. who knows? Beautiful showcase art on Arnie. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, it was an interesting card. Hasty B creature. The man who headbutted a troll and won. And won. <laughs> what a man. Mirji is also legendary. Mirji is legendary. And you can cascade into the horn when needed. And she makes mana whenever you cast spells. Hmm. Or you can just play the horn side and cascade into Omnath if you need Omnath. Exactly. Good old Omnath. It never fails. All right. So we've got a bunch of, like, <laughs> I won't call them promising ideas, but we got a bunch of ideas out there. This is the soup of ideas we have to work with. I don't know. Are we missing anything important for Jota? Don't think so. Likely it's finding the most efficient deck that can both consistently utilize the cascade effect to a good use, be effectively casted or getting into play, and see, make sure the anthem is actually a relevant part of the text. Yeah, that sounds like a decent goal. So let's just look at a couple of concepts. These come from different places. Some are from people in our Faith is Praying Discord. Great to see the community like at work on the card of the month. And some are just random ones that I found elsewhere. We'll start in Pioneer, where we had two different takes on a Pyre of Heroes humans deck. I think this is one of the more promising ways, right? Just build human tribal, which we know to be okay. Put Pyre into it, which has some cute interactions. I think Pyre, a two-drop into an extraction specialist, is proven to be quite good. Yeah. And then, you know, all you have to do is just push your curve up a little bit, get some four drops in there, and then get one Jota. That's the big draw, is that you can have all the benefits of Jota without having to play a million copies of it. You can get all the benefits of Yoda without playing your Yoda. So we have a list from Rich Ellis and a list from MTG, both from our Discord. So Rich has made his a Yorian deck, which makes sense to me, but he's you know, primarily in... I want to say black and white at the bottom of the curve, but as you get higher up the curve, you know, you, you got to branch out. Like at a certain point, if you're putting a, a rainbow legend on the top, why not allow yourself to play some blue cards? So there's ether channelers here. The four drops come from like an Urtai, a hostage taker, a micromancer. Oh, micromancer, that's interesting. It goes, that's why he has the final push on the Thoughtseize. Oh, okay. And um, the curve goes from also into Esper with really tiny bits of gruel, but this is quite clearly an Orso deck with a tiny bit of blue and even less so red and green. There's like, what, two red cards and two greens, including Yoda? Yeah, not much. So it's basically Esper besides the top end and Orso in the back in the beginning. But because this deck is almost all creatures, with the exception of some Fatal Push and Thoughtseize, you are allowed to play Secluded Courtyard, Unclaimed Territory. You can even play Plaza of Heroes. Yeah, 12. Although in this case, Rich Ellis makes a note that he doesn't have that many legends in this deck, so he's actually not sure if he's okay. using Jota to his best advantage, right? He's actually built a more of a 
just the good humans kind of deck where there's, you know, the, the little mini chain of Archfiend Vessel into Extraction Specialist with Charming Princes. Um, this is not as legendary as it could be. I'm a bit afraid with this one, mostly in the regards of the mana base in a Yorion deck in Pioneer. Without Cavern of Souls and without cards like Sigurat, you start to run really low on the capability of lands that tap for more than one mana. And it gets a bit frisky. You could play I mean, Mana Confluence if you... If, no, don't, don't, don't finish that. Don't, don't even finish that sentence. <laughs> like, let, nah, it, let, let it okay. rest. Let it rest. Let it at ease. I would rather not play a color <laughs> than forcing myself to play Mana Confluence in my Orion deck as a 4 of. Claudio played one in his winning Niv list on the challenge this weekend. I'll just put it that way. One out of 60. One in a 60. That means it was a forced decision, not a Yorionized decision. Now, if we look at this alternative Pyre Humans deck, again, still in Pioneer, this is from DJF MTG, who's mainly a Grixis player, but I think he saw something he liked in Jota. He's opted for more of a almost mono-white lower part of the curve. Yeah. Instead of Archfiend Vessel, it's Dauntless Bodyguard, Thraben Inspector, Charming Prince, Extraction Specialist. We haven't mentioned any legendary cards yet. So the legendary is all the rest. There's Thalia's Catilda Dawnheart Prime. This is the two-mana Catilda that's green and white. That is a kind of pseudo-ramp card that is a legend and a human. Then you have Adeline. You have three-mana Thalia. Two copies of... Lagetha. Lagrella the Magpie. That's like a Fiend Hunter, but it's a legend. It's a Fiend Hunter for both players. Ooh. So you can exile a creature of your own if you want and get it back when it dies. And then Lagrella grows when you do that. Yeah, exactly. One General Kudro, two Urtai Resurrected, one Hostage Taker, one Joyra Weatherlight Captain. Whenever you cast a historic spell, draw a card. She is a four mana human legend. So the reason we have these four drops is because we have the four Pyre of Heroes and two Jodas on top. Yeah. Sorry, in the case of Lagrella, she doesn't grow. The creature that returns gets back with two counters. Oh, well. Okay. My mistake. Yeah, so again, if you're building a human tribal, you do have to, like, ask yourself, like, how many legends am I playing? <laughs> right? Because there's not... There's not that many. The good humans are not legendary. I there's mean, some. Some of them are, but it's not most of them. Like, Talia, Adeline... Talia and Adeline. And did I mention Talia? There's also some Adeline. <laughs> I think Jaren, Corrupted Bishop, is okay. I think General Kudro is pretty good. I play more than one of those, personally. And Derrick is a great cyborg card. Campbell is a great cyborg card. And... Yeah. One other possibility for Humans Tribal in Pioneer is to forget about Pyre, right? Pyre is... You know, it's fine. It's a, l- a little slow. And just say, okay, what about the best thing humans can do is curve out and play Collected Company. So I do that, right? I build a deck that's just one drops, two drops, three drop humans with Collected Companies. But then because I've, I have no respect for math, I've just decided to make it a five-color <laughs> mana base and put some Jodas on top. So we have a list here. This is from Island Gosame, popular Twitch streamer and pioneer. He's been crushing it with this Bushwhacker Gruel deck. Yeah. Uh, so the list that he was testing was four Collected Company, three Jota, and then a selection of legendary adjacent humans. So three Lagrellas, 
Two Shana Purifying Blade. Oh, that's actually a human. Interesting. Three Adelines. Four Generals Enforcer. Not a legendary, but it's a 2-3 for two. A human that gives all of your legendary humans indestructible. I mean, this deck looks pretty bad, but I, mean, I don't know. I didn't actually see how this deck went when he tested it. I didn't have no... Rec- I, I didn't get to see it, sadly. Three Catildas. The Shana is what just breaks my mind. So Shanna requires gaining life to do anything, right? Yep. Where's the life gain coming from? Just her own lifelink? Um, General Enforcer, I think, gains life in a matter, in a way or form. Let me check that. Let me check, let me check. It might. Hmm. Or it might not. <laughs> I think it does. It does not. <laughs> okay. But it has amazing text in the form of legendary humans you control have indestructible. Yeah. I yeah, no life gain. Interesting. Okay, so maybe we don't need Shana Purifying Blade. I, I mean, he's just trying to maximize legendaries, but playing Shana or Kudro just destroys me. Also, I'm about to PM something to Dan that's going to destroy him, destroy his mind, which is a Twitter thread with the four pictures of Doomsday winning, which he already legacy. Oh, no. In today's legacy <laughs> challenge, all of them different wins against different players that just couldn't deal with a 4 5 Vanilla stick. A lot of them, because he just went turn one Dark Ritual into Shieldred. Oh my god. Brainstorm, take six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doomsday, con- like, Delver conceding with double Force of Will, Force of Negation in hand. Brainstorm, of course, never casted. Standing there. Affinity decks, 8 cast, unable to even cast anything that draws 2 cards, and of course, mono red, unable to do with a 4-5 beatdown stick. My god. Alright, well the de- next deck I'm going to talk about does have a Shaeldred in it. This is my first attempt at actually brewing something with Jota. And what I wanted to do first was focus on that Velky tybalt cascade interaction. So I built the deck in such a way that I will always hit Valky. That means that I have no other legendaries at 0, 1, or 2. And anytime I play a 3 or 4 mana legend, I'm going to cascade into... Well, any 3 drop will cascade into Tybalt. Yeah, I was about to say, that doesn't make any sense. But any 4 drop could either get a Tybalt or some other 3 drop legend. And I'm basically playing Jund with an irresponsible mana base, which I haven't actually sketched out yet. Risky Shun. But it's inspired by uh, a Soul of Windgrace Jund deck that Claudio had posted. And actually, we'll talk about that in our Soul of Windgrace section. Yeah. But the idea here is that, yeah, you have some decent value legends, mostly in Jund colors. So we'll start with Liliana the Veil. That counts. I'm playing one copy of Squee as my kind of escapable legend. Croxa <laughs> uh, would normally be in that role, but Croxa will interfere with my plan of cascading into Tybalt. One Shale Dread, three Soul of Windgrace, two Joda the Unifier, and one Asika's Chariot. Oh, one Celestus as well. That's also a legendary permanent that can cascade into Tybalt. Yes. So not a huge number of legends, but some. And then the rest of the deck is just interactive cards, right? A kind of Jundi selection of cards. Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Fatal Push, Thoughtseize, Traverse the Ulvenwald, because one of the things we're trying to do is set up Soul of Windgrace by using Setter Wayfinders and Fable of the Mirror Breakers, so maybe I can just get away with uh, Delirium and then I don't have to play that many copies of Jota. And three Leyline Bindings. I just can't deal with the fact that the flip side of 
of Fable is not legendary. Maria, Thrill and Binding seems ambitious, to say the least. There has been a lot of talk about this Pioneer Leila and Binding deck, and I haven't faced it yet, but I hear people complaining about it. Which one? Like, five-color domain control. I think people just see five-color and assume it's enigmatic, and they are all complaining about... Like, they're complaining about two different decks as, as if it was one. But I did see some lists of, like, a five-color Shadow Prophecy, Leyline Binding, Omnath, Ertai. Like, Yorion for Ertai, for Omnath, for Leyline Binding, all in. I mean, that, that could be the Jota deck. That could be a Jota deck. That could be the new Neve. One of the ways that you can cast Jota and Cascade in the same turn is to have Omnath in play, play a fetch land. Now you've got nine mana. That's enough for Jota plus your second legend to Cascade into Tybalt. I mean, that's a real plan. That's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And Omnath is one of those cards that like is actually really good and sees no play in Pioneer, so... <laughs> The lack of efficient fetch lands is destroying it. For good, right? Because if it did, it would be freaking everywhere. Why <laughs> wouldn't you play Omnath if you could? Also, I'm shocked to see some Yorion Asodius control versions playing for Leyline Banding. They have just slapped in eight triumphs of color in Pioneer. They just went the modern way in Pioneer. This is the way. I mean, this is the way. This is what we warned people would happen. <laughs> So let's shift over to modern for one last deck list before we... Before we jump back to the flashback. Exactly. So we talked about the interaction of Winota, Joiner of Forces, and Joda, Unifier of Forces? Is that also Forces? Yeah. Joda, the Unifier. <laughs> okay. Joda, <laughs> Unifier of Forces. That's it. Win Joda. This list comes to us from Mild Pro, a member of our Faithless Brewing Discord, I know that Malapro was consulting with Darshik, the current champion of Yognoda. Not Winogmoth. Yognoda. Damn it, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> Zach destroyed you. Darshik is the current champion of Yognoda. Wait, what? Yes. Yes, yes, you, yes. Starshik was the current champion of Yognoda after Anthony, and now. Okay. He's an advisor in... Come on, you can do it. Thank you. Thank you. In Winjota. Yes. <laughs> yes. We got there. All right. So what we need is we need four Winotas. We need a mix of non-humans to attack with and humans for Winota to find. I guess what they decided was that you should, if Jota is going to be your payoff, just play the full playset of Jotas. Just believe, right? Kind of like we had to go up to four Winota, four Yogmoth. Same concept, but we'll put all four Jotas in. You're going to want to attack with the non-humans. The non-humans don't have to be legends, right? So in this build, they settled on the pretty standard package of Strangerroot Geist um, and uh, Prosperous Keeper Voice of Resurgence, borrowing from the, from the Yogmoth version. Season Pyromancer, Eldritch Evolution, so there's actually not that many legends in here. Their main legends are Adeline, Joda, Winota herself, and Ragavans. So it looks like Joda's mainly going to be our anthem effect. I think this might be one of the best ideas for it. Just using Yoda as a way to replace the really bad cards, like the one that gives double strike, and also as a way to maybe just find extra answers in the mid to late game. Like some, you can have like the Nas of just like having a Yoda, play a Winota, hit an Adeline. 
and just reveal a huge portal of a sudden. Mm. Like, I think Yora is great at, at it being a top end and like just pumping Winora and the Ragavan with plus three, plus three might be enough. My yeah. only fear is we might be a bit low on legendaries. Yeah, what if we choose more legendary token makers? Yeah, like, what's the name of the two? Like, but suddenly, what you need are the two drops and three drops to be legendary non humans, right? So Squee can do it. I think Minsk actually makes a non-human token, so... You could go for the lace that used to play like a lot of Rubble Masters effects. You have Minsk, which is a human that you can hit that makes a non-human, which is pretty great. So it works both ways. You have Squee, which is a non-human that makes non-humans, which is pretty great. But sadly, you also need two drops. What would decent two drops be? That's the bigger question. Jadar Goo Caller of Nefalia makes a non-human and is a human legend himself. But it's black. But we're five color. We are <laughs> Naya we, we are Naya with a tiny, inny bitty, tiny bit of black and blue, and that's what makes the mana base tick with 21 lands. Well this build this build from Malapro is Naya, but okay. it, I mean nothing says you have to play Strangerout Geist, Voice of Resurgence, and Eldritch Evolution. You don't have to play those. Eldritch Evolution is pretty great, but yeah, no need for struggle to guys and boys. I think if we we're, were able to replace those for efficient 2-3 mana legendaries, it would work quite better. Tyson Paramancer, I think, is unreplaceable as both a human that makes non-humans and draws cards. That's literally everything you want. Which card? Season Pyro. Yeah, okay. But it's also red, which is we know that's color, so it's fine. We are, you're gonna be playing red. I tried to rent a deck with Fable the Mirror Breaker. <laughs> like, I just couldn't afford it. They're so freaking expensive, so I had to play Season Pyromancer instead. It's like my no. budget Fable the Mirror Breaker. Budget Fable? <laughs> yes. Fables are like 60 online, and Season Pyromancer is like 8. Devastating. Yeah. All right. So I think that's a range of avenues to explore more. What are you thinking so far? I mean, based on what we've talked about, it's hard. I don't love any of the Pioneer decklists, mostly because I think what, the one in the closer to Lightning Island goes same with a few tweaks. But I, I struggle to see how Yoda makes those decks better. Like, you know me, whenever I try to brew something, I always try to go for, if not the most, not the most powerful one, but rather where the card makes the deck better. Hmm. Like, if I'm just gonna brew for color, you're, you're another Yoda, I can just... Like, if we're doing stuff that doesn't... It, it isn't better because of the card, you just grab the best deck possible that can feed it and run it with it, right? Because if we're just playing humans that is worse with Yoda, why not play for color control and play Yoda? Like, if we're gonna go to that extreme, let's just go to that extreme completely. So, the least I like the most, actually, are the one from Island Goes Same and something like the one you have created in Pioneer where Yoda actually enables for a f pretty consistent Tibalt, which is really powerful, especially if you have a board as well. Do so you think that you would play something like five-color Yorian Omnath in Modern and just add Jodos to it and see what happens? No, no, no. That's exactly what I wouldn't do because I know the result of that. I'm going to get a 4-1 and I'm going to cast Yoda exactly one time. Well, just tell yourself you have to play more than one copy. No, yeah, but... Why do that when we can try to find good ideas with it? Like, I think Win Yoda is actually a deck that gets upside from the presence of Yoda, 
your five-color build that is actually using your as a way to turn Tival consistently, I think actually has upside of the card. Like it actually plays to the card's strengths rather than having it as a fun one-off. Alright, that makes sense. That's I think where I'm going to dig deeper into. Actually trying to exploit the anthem effect. And maybe just playing in a fair deck, right? Like turn five, cast it after a bunch of of idiots, so he just wins the game in one swing. Or if not, making sure I can get a bulky out of it. Yeah, I think I broadly agree with that. So we'll start plucking away at Yoda. I am like dreading casting this card. <laughs> <laughs> These decks are ambitious, but ambition is good. We gotta aim high. Clearly people want to see this happen, and I almost, at various points while researching this, I almost talked myself into like a couple of these things. So we have some material to work with, and it should be an interesting month. It will be. At least it will be a colorful one. Been a while since we focus on a five-color one. Oh yeah. All right. Well, that kicks off Project Joda the Unifier. Our last order of business for today is to talk about. Soul of Windgrace, a card we brewed with last week and had some opportunities to test, so we should share some of our findings. I think, I don't know if you agree with this, Mord, but I think we were right about this card. We talked about its virtues at the time. It had you know, seen a little bit of play. It's seeing more play now, right? I think it's starting to pick up steam. If like, you're interested in Soul of Windgrace, just yeah. buy it now. It's going to go up in price. Oh, not by a huge amount, but like it's going to be more than... It's buy them if you're going to use them. That's the if thing. If you're going to use It's three bucks right now. It could be six. I think it's going to go up to like five, six. Yeah. Like it's a buy if you're going to use them, not buy for speculation. Exactly. So we'll start with Aspiring Spike, right? So he had originally put Solar Wind Grace into John Sagavan. Wrote about this on Channel Fireball again this week. Said he still thinks it's good. You had a chance to play around with one of his newer concepts. Yeah. So, a Spice Bank had this four, five-color Delirium deck list with 60 cards going around. He said he was liking it a lot, got a trophy. So, of course, I went, grabbed the exact same deck list, and urinized it, because you guys know me. And in this case, I agree with you, because I looked at the list that Spike posted, and I was like, this is just five-color Yorian good stuff. He just trimmed 20 cards and called it Delirium. But it's, it's quite literally the same package. It's Traverse, Bobble, Binding... It's just the good cards. Red and six, expressive iteration on Holy Heat. <laughs> He's got two Emeralds instead of one, but why play one Omnath when you could play more? Yeah. So the card was actually pretty decent. I got a 3-2 that should have been a 4-1, but I was racing around the Kidens, as you have seen, they are on full-on release. I was on stream and I time and I was like four minutes ahead, three minutes below on the control mirror. But actually the card that was about to win me the game was Oh, it was win race because we both ran out of win cons. My opponent played three days undoing. They were out of removal in the deck and they had a supreme verdict and they cast it. And I was so focused on the card, I forgot to give win race a distractible in order for it to win the game on its own. Oh, wow. But it was, it, the, my opponent was literally out of solitudes. He had nine cards in the deck and I had eight. And it was my last creature. I would have single handedly won that game. Just being a 5-4 hidden stick that drew four cards because it cycled my lands. So at this point, Leyland Binding is a modern staple. It's not surprising to see four copies here. But four copies of Shadow Prophecy, that does make this a proper domain deck. 
And that also helps fill the graveyard for Delirium and for Windgreeze. Yeah. So you had four Shadow Prophecies in the deck as well. Uh, how many Omnaths and Solo Windgreeze did you end up playing? So you were going up to 80 cards. Now Spike only played one of each. I had four on one. Four Omnath, one Soul? Yeah. So I never traversed for the Soul only once, and it was only because I needed the 80 ETB, because I had an Omnath in play, and I needed an extra land in order to kill Planeswalkers with the four damage. And that's something super that was super achievable. But besides that, it works as I always said. It's the fifth Omnath when you need it. And I cannot play five Omnaths because rules. But yeah, card was pretty good. Also, besides the loss to control, which I think would have been a win, we got super unlucky against Ragdos Cam. We got Land Moon into a zero land Shadow Prophecy. We were one land away from stabilizing that, and the Shadow Prophecy hit zero lands in five. And then next round, my f- I went turn 3 Shadow Prophecy and hit 5 lands, and I was like, why? Like, it was like super immediately, like 0 lands to 5 lands. Why? This is your punishment for putting one copy of the card of the week into an 80-card deck. But I had tutors! It's, it's wrong, Mort. I had first traverse! <laughs> but you knew you weren't going to traverse for soul. You told us that last week. I traversed once! That's more than I traversed for solitude. Really? Wow. Indeed, I never traversed for Solitude. Hmm. I did traverse for Fury, though. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you traverse for Fury? Okay, so were you liking the Shadow Prophecies here? I mean, does this... I love Shadow Prophecy. Shell makes sense to you? Yeah, yeah, I really like Shadow Prophecy. Shadow Prophecy makes Delirium super easy. Right, it puts itself plus up to three other cards in the graveyard. Yeah. Like, sometimes it almost enables Delirium on its own. Like, that Shadow Prophecy plus... One type tends to be the three types you need a lot of the time, like land, instant, plus planeswalker, creature, enchantment. Even in some games, I actually grab differently just to enable the them delirium. Like I had a honey healing hand, and I was like, should I grab this binding or descending? And just the binding began an enchantment was clearly the tiebreaker. Send it to the graveyard, then ending, then hit, and get immediately delirium. Nice. So yeah, super cool deck, super fun idea. Spike was playing two Embracool's main deck, and more than once I wish I did, so maybe I'm adding the second to the sideboard. I was able to get seven times in my graveyard for by turn six, seven, practically every game. Seven types? Yeah, yeah, consistently casting six mana Embracool. Wow. Because enchantment is super easy when you play four dressdowns and four bindings. Planeswalker is super easy when you play four Teferi, four Brennan six, because either they die or you win, right? Instant gets easy with when you're playing balls and Holy Heat and Prophecy. Sorcery is the hardest one because you only have Ending. Well, you have Expressive Iteration, right? No. And Traverse. You don't have Expressive Iteration. It's replaced by Shadow Prophecy. They fill a similar role. Expressive Iteration is a great card, but it isn't as cool of a card in four color because you can never cast it efficiently on turn three. Unlike other decks with a much lower curve, casting Expressive Iteration on turn three tends to be really bad because... Unless you hit specifically a one-mana removal you need or abundant growth, it's only finding you two lands most of the time. And tapping down for it tends to be extremely risky, while Shadow Prophecy being both an instant and something you just grab the cards you're going to need. Okay, I'm looking at your deck list more closely now. So I thought when you said you took Spike's list and urinized it that you had kept his same ratios. But actually what you did was you just went back to the original build that Spike had deurionized, which is just five-color good stuff. Your list is closer to the Mord 
five color good stuff list. And where you've concluded you don't need expressive iteration. Spikes doesn't play it either. Yes, it does. It plays four. Oh, it does. And it plays four fury of zero solitude. So you're on four solitude, one fury. So it's, it's fine. I mean, it's. I think four solitude is, is better. <laughs> I didn't realize Spike was also running for expressive iteration, and maybe I should. But I think you're starting to reach the point where you're too low on threats. But maybe that's why he has the two Evraguls, you know? That's actually something I might consider for my next league. I copy-pasted Spike's list, and while I was brewing while playing Popper, because I was doing two stuff at the same time, I might have got the express iterations. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, this card is probably banned, right? This card is probably not interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Like, we're just, like, haggling over numbers over the good cards. So I, I don't know, like, what to make of all this. Like, this is what brewing looks like in 2022. I'm happy that Shadow Prophecy is in here. I'm happy that Solo Ingrace is competing for slots. But maybe within, you know, a few weeks, we'll just be like, oh, Solo Ingrace, that's one of the good cards. And it's not even... I mean, there's nothing really happening in this deck besides this. So I'm shot. Spike has literally seven creatures in his deck, right? Eight? It's extremely threat light. It's shockingly so. Yeah, shocking. Now I'm a bit shocked. Yeah, maybe that's the way to take it. I'm going to dig a bit into that. It's mostly re removal card draw and like a couple threats. Yeah, yeah. Spike literally wins with the Emraguls. Interesting. I might take a closer look. Add some iterations, cut some of the stuff, just go up for Fury, for Solitude. Straight up on removal, put two Emraguls and hope for the best. So one more piece of data to consider about whether Solo Ingrace is just one of the good cards. So Claudio, we mentioned, won the Modern Challenge, or excuse me. Pioneer Challenge. Won the Pioneer Challenge with his signature Niv deck, but he also, I mean, he likes mid-rangey kind of stuff. He likes enigmatic, and in this case, he decided he wanted to try Solo Ingrace and Pioneer, just surround it with good cards. Boomerjund. Boomerjund. Now, what are the green cards that even make green worth considering? Because basically Rakdos is a better version of that in Pioneer. What Claudio thought was, all right, if I want Solo Windgrace to be my good card, so he's playing three copies here, I need some ways to get lands in the graveyard. So he's got three Satter Wayfinders for that, in addition to four Fable of a Mirror Breaker. And between those, he felt like he had enough to enable like a light delirium package with Traverse the Ovenwald. The rest of the deck, I mean, I talked about this, I built like a five-color version in the Jota section, but yeah, it's just generically good cards. Uh, I'm not sure what to make of like the actual traversing four one-offs, like one Shaeldred, one Clothis, one Oxavagonus, love that. One Tracker. <laughs> one Tracker, one Scoo. So I, I'm not totally convinced by like the exact numbers, but as a proof of concept, I mean, Claudio said he really liked the solo wing race here. Yeah, I actually was pretty impressed with that list. It's just like straight up Boomer Shan ported into Pioneer. I like the Traverse package. The deck plays a lot of weird stuff like enchantments with Fable and Clothies, a lot of lands, instant and sorceries are a lot. Three Planeswalkers as well, so I think it can get Delirium semi consistently. No Fable Passage is a bit shocking, at least as a 2 of or 3 of both for Soul and for Traverse. I think that's the biggest thing. So I tested like a, a bunch of Soul and Grace decks this week, and one of them was a Pioneer build that David sketched up where, okay, we felt like you have to play four people Passage, and that means you need a bunch of basics. Claudio didn't do any of that. Claudio didn't give a single fuck. Maybe, maybe you don't need a bunch of basics. Maybe with three, four basics are good and just replace two pathways with 
Fable. I don't think you need a lot of Fable. Two, three Fables are likely more than enough. So I think his mana was much cleaner. I mean, one of the things that I really struggled with was drawing all these crappy-ass basic lands in a three-color deck. So maybe Claudio was right. Maybe you don't need to play Fable and everything. Maybe you can just rely on Wayfinder and Fable. Sorry, I should clarify. Fable Passage versus Fable of the Mirror Breaker. <laughs> maybe you don't need to play Fable Passage. You can just use Fable of the Mirror Breaker instead of Wayfinder and Liliana to just like discard lands. It's a lot of discard outlets. Like It makes a decent amount of sense, especially with opponent also discarding some of the time, opponents playing Fable Passage of their own, Lily plusing and opponent discarding lands of their own. Maybe there's enough. Huh. All right, food for thought. So we have some evidence now that Solo Ingrace might just be one of the good cards from this set. What we don't quite know is, can it be the featured card of a bad deck? <laughs> and this is what I set out to test. I took four Solo Ingrace and surrounded it by 56 of the worst cards in Modern. <laughs> So just see what would happen. So yeah, I'm talking about my Bard class deck. Modern Windgrace Bard class, which I talked about last week. Jumped into a league with this. Quickly went 05, like 02, 02, 02, 02, 02. 05. I have... There's few times in my Magic career I have went 05. None of them in paper, thankfully. But, ouch. And my match notes were pretty consistent. It was like, well, I couldn't stop them. They killed me on turn three. Well, I couldn't stop them. <laughs> they killed me on turn three. Couldn't defend. <laughs> Die turn three. Couldn't defend. Gang two was close thanks to mouse lockdown, but it drew second adverse. Couldn't kill fast enough. Mixed kill gang one. Might have been able to win it. Couldn't defend. Die turn three. And no way to get our own big dragons. I mean, it was almost like whatever they chose to do, right? So I played against a mill deck, a calibrated blast deck, a living end deck, a really fast prowess deck and murktide like whatever their threat was i couldn't answer it like that just wasn't in the cards for the way that i built this deck <laughs> so i was like well i hope i can race them but i could not race them <laughs> that being said like oh five is pretty bad right you can't it can't be that bad so i thought i should just try one more time no changes run it back the deck's already rented hit join was it that bad? Well, the answer was yes. Yes, it is really that bad. Um, this time, I actually did win my first two matches. Clean 2-0. Like, I paired against, you know, more fair decks. Blue-white control and, like, a mono-white taxes. Started giving me some hope that, okay, actually, yeah, it is powerful when you're doing your thing with Bard class and whatever else. But... That was quickly disabused of that. I lost two in a row to Burn and once to the Rakdos scam deck. So two and eight overall with Bard class in Modern. And apart from that dismal record, like I think I only got to level three of Bard class four or five times in all these games. So at that point, like, why bother? You know, if the deck that's built around Bard class just can't even get to level three, then it's not worth doing. Did you top like? Did you just? Draw Rada every single game. Yeah, well, I was playing two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but every single screenshot has a Rada somewhere. This is the two mana Rada that taps for a green, so she ramps you to Windgrace. I mean, that was fine. Like, curving out into Windgrace happened a lot. I got a bunch of information about how Windgrace plays. It's hmm. pretty good. Not amazing. Yeah, Windgrace was pretty good. But, it, you know, the, the deck as a whole could not be saved. 
So, so much for Bard class. <laughs> mm. Shifting over to Pioneer. So, one of the concepts David sketched up for us was a Jundi package, but not traditional Jund. He was interested in specifically the Fires of Invention Shigeki Jukai Visionary Invoke Despair combo pack. Really cute interaction between Fires of Invention and the channel ability on Shigeki. Yeah. You can spend all your mana on that, and you still have two free spells available. We thought that Solar Wind Grace would help boost our mana so we can get like fires online quicker, get bigger channels off Shigeki, and you know, get to five for Invoke Despair. So we put three Solar Wind Grace in there, and then we made those mana base adjustments we were just talking about for Fable Passage and a bunch of basics. I tried two Emergent Sequence as well. I think I talked about how I, I kind of like the yeah. potential of putting more lands in the graveyard. This deck was okay. I mean, it was Jundi. It was Jund is going to be a 45% deck any way you slice it. And yeah, I went two and three where the matches I lost, you know, I felt grievously wronged by fate. Like, oh, I had the right cards. I just drew them out of order, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know, that's, that's Jund. At the end of the day, you're going to be two and three, possibly three and two. So I felt like this deck as a whole was not, it wasn't like sitting on a gold mine. It was okay. What I liked about Windgrace specifically was that when you're paired against aggressive decks, you really, you really have to cut Fires of Invention. You have to just cut all of them. They're not helpful. They're a card down and they make you play on your own turn, which makes like your Fatal Push and your Cyborg, Noxious Grass, and Abrupt Decay is like a lot worse. So what I was doing when I got paired against Aggro like three times because I was cutting all the fires, but I found that Solo Ingrace actually did a great job of just helping me build up to a healthy supply of mana anyway. But that was pretty cool. Like, okay. that was, again, like, Windgrace being a decent card on its own. And, yeah, I found that, like, the fact that I had a big mana engine in the form of Shigeki made Windgrace a little more valuable. So, it sounds like all upside. What was the problem? No way to actually get it to that spot where everything works? Oh, the problem is that it's a synergy Jund deck, and Jund is not meant to be a synergy deck. Yeah, yeah, Shandy is meant to be good stuff, good card, good top deck. I mean, like, you know, I have a, a screenshot here where I'm paired against Rakdos, right? And I should be a bigger version of them. Yeah. But my hand is like three Fires of Invention, two Invoke Despairs, and an Extinction Event. And two lands in play on turn six. This shouldn't happen, right? Like, I yeah. should be playing Fable and Blood Tithe Harvester. It's criminal to not play Fable. Those fires should be Fable. The Stout Symbol Pressure should be a threat on three mana. Right, so you could cut the fires, say Windgrace does that, play Fable instead, and then you have something closer to what Claudio played, right? There's no synergy, just... Good little stuff. Just play the good cards, and solo Windgrace can be a good card. I agree, yeah. And the mana bases I mentioned was, was actually kind of punishing. Like, I got screwed several times by having too many basics. Hmm. Well, that's something to consider. But yeah, I don't think I'm going to play this specific build again. Yeah, I think the Shun, the Shun version by Claudio looks a lot more interesting. So after some frustrating leagues with Bard class and then Shigeki fires, I wanted just like a palette cleanser. And when I'm in that mood, I go back to my girl Titania and Kiora. <laughs> This is like my happy place, and I haven't played them in a long time. Titania is your happy place? Kiora into Titania is my happy place. I mean, okay. That's such a sweet combo. So I went to the Titania's Fury deck, and we talked about this more. You suggested that I should just add the Urza Sagos directly to this deck. 
Oh, yeah. And I'm glad I did, because Zurin Orb plus Titania is like a sweet endgame, and that happened a bunch of times. And this felt good. Like, here, I am playing Solar Wind Grace. It's my only black card. It's not the feature card in any stretch, right? Like, this deck is trying to just go Utopia, Sprawl, Arbor Elf, Giora, Titania. Wingrace can participate if he wants to, but he doesn't have to. Right? He just has less of a role. He's not the key, he's just a good addition. Exactly. He supports the Kiora plan, he draws a card off Kiora, he gets me lots of mana, um, brings back Fetchlands for Titania. I mean, he does a little bit of stuff, not a lot, and that's fine. Brings back Urza Saga was the hope, right? This was the original John Saga Van idea. This deck was good. I mean, this deck felt great. I actually like overpowered most of my opponents, which was such a change from hmm. the decks I had just been describing. <laughs> like, I was happy. I mean, you're playing the good cards, and Titania is a bit is a beast. I mean, I'm playing a lot of cards you have not had a cast against you in a long time, like Utopia Sprawl. I think prevailing wisdom is that Utopia Sprawl is not good anymore. I found it to be great. Like people just were not playing the cards that killed it. I'm just going to say it because it's correct. Playing two Brennan 6 is not correct. What number should I be playing? I was thinking one. I was thinking three. If you only have two two drops and are Brennan 6, the only best thing is the third good two drop. Well, this deck has several two drops. It has Dash Dragovan, it has Stomp <laughs> or Bone Crusher Giant, and it has two Brennan 6. I mean, that's, it's true. Like The original version, as we talked about, was an Obosh deck. Yeah. One, three, five. But you just need some two drops just in case. Yeah, yeah. You need some efficiency in there in case your dork dies and you're not super slow. But I like this deck a lot. I mean, I got paired against a pretty good selection of like powerful decks. Yeah. I got paired against the four color Omnath. Four real decks. Rhinos, Grixis Shadow. And I just overpowered all of them. I just blasted through with Kiora and Titania. Good of you to stop mentioning them when you get to Merfolk. Yeah, I also played against Merfolk. Anarchon <laughs> <laughs> Creativity, which is an actual... So four actual tier one decks and Merfolk. Glad to see you didn't lose the one that matters. I was 4-0. Yeah. I was like, this is this deck is great. I'm cruising for that 5-0. But once once they played Leyline into Fable the Mirror Breaker, I was like, this is not going to go well. Like, I don't actually have interaction for specifically Creativity into Archon. And yeah, there's not much interaction for that either. They got me with that twice. I was able to just take the game, second game, so that was encouraging, but 4-1's not bad after the abysmal yeah. record with everything else. It's pretty good. I actually faced a deck extremely similar to this two days ago, and poor my opponent, when turned, on turn 5, they got the Suranor of the, of the Ursa Saga, and they had a Titania, and they had a 5 lands, and I went like, okay, end step, ball your Titania, and of course they went for a ballsy play of get Five five threes into my straight up land supreme verdict concede. Oh come on! You were playing supreme verdicts. I was playing three supreme verdicts. <laughs> but opponent was so confident they were like, "Okay, five three, five three. How is four color gonna beat this?" Okay, supreme verdict concede. That's not right. <laughs> it was the right thing to do, and I imagine the sadness in my opponent's face. If your opponent sacks all their land to Zuranor with Titania, you should concede out of respect. You gotta respect the orb. I mean, it's that's a committed player. Respect the orb. Yeah, I I think it's great with Titania. Also, I never thought about Titania's tokens making making it throw with Kyoda, and that seems super fun. I mean, it's not just fun. It's like extremely powerful. Extremely powerful. 
Extremely powerful. Yeah, draw two. Like, Titania drawing two cards immediately. I mean, my very first game with this deck, I had Utopia Sprawl into Kiora. So that's a turn two Kiora that immediately untaps the Utopia Sprawl land to recast Ren and Six. So I've already got a million permanents in play. Turn three, I played Titania, draw a card off Kiora, bring back a fetch land, crack both fetch lands, right? Because I still have my land drop. So now I've got three five threes. I've drawn three cards. I've got like a million permanents in play. <laughs> got 15 power in play and a full group of cards. That's just like the basic curve. Yeah, and obviously that's a good draw. But that's the reason to play this particular show. And I do recommend it. It's a lot of fun. I don't know like how good it is, but I mean, I was encouraged. Yeah, a 4-1 is a great result, especially when it's the sad 4-1, right? The one where we could, we could see our name up in lights on the 5-0s, and then it got ripped away. You're waiting for, for the Reddit post where Vamsing talks praises about your creativity just to get shunned out into the light. It's such. The sad thing is that in game three of the last round, like I pitched to Titania to force a vigor at a key turn because I thought I was going to have to like make a big push and then they spill pierced it. And then no. like several turns later, the Titania would have won the game if I hadn't pitched it. Such. But I didn't know that at the time. So <laughs> <sighs> we were not ready. Decisions. All right. So that's Solar Wing Grace. What have we learned about it? Is it one of the good cards? I think it's one of the good cards. I don't think it's one of the great cards. It's one of those cards it's good to have in your deck, in most mid-range decks, but doesn't win the game on its own as clearly as something like Omnath that, right? Like, it's a second-tier kind of great card. I found it significantly worse than Omnath. Yeah, yeah. Just not drawing a card. But the thing is, being significantly worse than Omnath is, like... The line between unplayable and significantly worse with Omnath, it's a huge stretch. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> like, that's true. It's significantly worse than one of the top three cards of the format. Yeah, fair. So I think even contemplating that, it leaves some spot for it to be actually quite decent. <laughs> the other thing that I thought was going to be really sweet was, okay, if I have Solo Ingrace, gives me a land when I... Cast it, I can attack and get more lands. Those lands come back tapped, so it's not like as sweet as I thought. And actually, as weird as it is to say this, attacking with a Solar Wing Grace is roughly the same power level as attacking with the Fable of the Mirror Breaker token. I agree. Like, if you have an uncontested Fable token, that's as powerful or more than Solar Wing Grace. No, I think in the, to in the late game, I think the life game from. The life thing has come relevant more than once. They gained three life discarding a land. Oh, sure. But, like, you know, the Fable token also does other stuff. It draws two cards, it becomes another creature. Yeah, but that's on three turns. Like, it's my turn five that all of that happens. While if you're having your Soul of Wingers survive for two turns, it's also likely making more value than that. Well, how many lands did you have in your hand? I mean, I found it pretty rare to have more than one or two lands in my hand by so, that stage of the game. I tend to have multiple lands in my hand by that stage of the game, make it a mixture of Shadow Prophecies and Brennan Sixes. Hmm, okay. Like, I, I tend to play more value-intensive decks that are actually draw, doing more two-for-one, so me flooding a tiny bit is quite common. So the decks I was playing did not have as many lands in hand, and maybe yeah. it's a function of not having enough Brennan Sixes or just straight-up card draw. I actually found that my soul of Windgrace was competing with Ren and Six a lot of the time. Like, if I only had just one fetch land, 
there would be the turn that I cast Windgrace, I would have to like skip Ren and Six. Okay. Which didn't feel good. I, I was never in that spot, also because first of all, I had some sort of self-meal, and my decks tend to play a lot of fetch. Yorion decks play more fetchland than non-Yorion decks. Like, that's a fact, so I had a pretty high fetchland density. Right, but in, in order to have an extra fetch, you either need to, like, play fetch, fetch, turn one or two, or, I mean, ideally, you take your opponent's fetchland off solo wing grace. No, sometimes... But sometimes that wasn't possible, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. No, I think most of my games, I even had a super good line where I accidentally placed my own... In a super grindy matchup, I placed my socket stand from the graveyard. Yeah. And I felt a bit wrong because I actually... There was a chance... I, no, sorry, it was a socket stand. It was an Otawara. And there was a chance I would like to Otawara that back to my hand with a Renan 6 eventually. And my opponent used an Otawara and I played an Otawara with the Wind Race to sacrifice my own Otawara to Legend Rule it. <laughs> But yeah, that's another weird tension, right? I had a similar thing happen where it's like, you can bring back a Boseju or a Sokenzin from your graveyard. But do you want to get back a Boseju or a Sokenzin? Right, it takes them out of the Ren and Six loop. I tend to not get them. Unless I know I'm like out of Ren and Sixes or this is going to be a short game. I tend to leave them there. I have found there's enough agency in models for me to always get a land out of my opponent, or at least 90% of the time. It should, right? The time that annoyed me the most was my opponent had two flooded strands in their graveyard, and I was playing Jund, so I couldn't couldn't use them. <laughs> I was like, "Come on, I have to skip my run in six because you're playing flooded strands." But yeah. Oh yeah, I was playing five colors, so every single land works. Right, right, right. So other notes is uh, specifically the Fable Passage basic land mana base is a little bit rough and pioneer in a multicolored deck. We talked about that. And yeah, just the uh, the fact that Soul does not actually natively draw cards means that it can't mount a comeback in the same way that Almanath can. But despite all of that, despite all those little nitpicks, I liked the card. I did. I, I just like enjoyed it. I enjoyed having a big mana advantage over my opponents. It's a fun card. Like, even if it's not downright amazing, it's fun. It's a powerful fun card. Like, I can't argue with it. At least on that aspect. And it's very fair. Like, the advantage you get is that you will have a little more mana oh, yeah, over the course of several turns. So it's very fair. It's not Omnath-like. It's Omnath is fair in between quotes. But you cast Omnath, and you know if it survives, you're going to have silly turns. Windgrace is more of a, okay, I'm going to develop this threat. If it survives, I can give it indestructible, and then I'm going to cycle through my lands. It's going to be pretty decent. Windgrace, to me, is like a decent body that gives you some extra mana to work with. Yeah. But that doesn't win the game. You have, the rest of your deck has to win the game. No, it's not going to win the game. It's going to be an extra piece of cardboard. More than one extra piece, and that's the important part. And that's enough. That's enough to be a, a good contributor to multiple formats. Exactly. So, with that being said, I think we're done for the night. Hope everybody enjoyed. We had a lot of fun with Soul. We are going to likely have a lot of fun with Shoda or cry a tiny bit in our sleep. You will find about that next week. Exactly. We'll be testing some Maria, Scholar of Antiquity, sleeving up a Dota if we have to. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, a lot of cool ideas to work with and excited to see what this week brings. Exactly. Have a nice night, everybody. Dan, thanks so much for, sh- for joining me tonight. Uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
deck list for this episode can be viewed at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And tune in next time for testing results with Miria, Scholar of Antiquity. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. If you're a fan of the show, you can join our community at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time.